0: This podcast is a presentation of Nagshead Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. Acts chapter 17, if you have your Bible, if you're following along with the You Version, uh, Acts chapter 17, we're in a series, Turn the World Upside Down, and we're and, um, going to follow and continue that today. We haven't been there in a couple weeks. And uh, glad to pick it back up this morning, Uh, as we talk about explaining, giving a good explanation uh, to folks as we as we talk do what we talked about last week in ministry and mission. Can I get a little bit more light uh, with the? I want to see you, and right now I can't see those of you sleeping in the back row. So somebody can do that for me. Bump the lights up a tad. That would be wonderful. If you've missed any or all of this series, you can always listen uh, by going to our podcast, and you can go to our podcast by simply um, uh, going to our website, Nags Church, and you can click on podcast and find out, listen in on what what we've been doing. Uh, Missionaries like Paul and Silas and uh, Timothy and Luke, those are the missionaries that we're looking at in this story in Acts who've been traveling now through Asia Minor, and now they're in Macedonia and northern Greece, missionaries like them, like John and Cindy Peterson, who were with us a couple, or last Sunday. By the way, did you, were you just really, uh, was that great last Sunday, John and Cindy sharing their, uh, their story and their experience, their pain, being so transparent with us about that? Missionaries like Sergei and Dina Butenko in Ukraine, who are going to be here two weeks from today, uh, be praying about that their uh, plan is they bought their tickets but they got to fly through Moscow and they are Ukrainians and with the way things are going in the world right now they're not really sure they're going to be able to get here so we're hoping that they will missionaries go to places where perhaps the gospel is unknown and they go there to share with people that God loves them, that God sent his son Jesus to come and live and die and rise again so that we can have everlasting life and be part of God's family. Here at Naxxed Church, we believe that we as a church are to be. This is one of our definitions of who we are. If you need to jot this down, jot this down. Nag said, Church, we need to see ourselves as a community of missionaries. That's what God's called us to do, is be on mission and to take the gospel to the world. And we often point out, as we did last Sunday, and and we do in, in some of our teaching, point out the importance of you and I as we share the gospel. One of the simplest ways to do that is to tell your story. How did you come to know Jesus Christ? And so we encourage folks to tell your story to other people, how he's changed your life. And that is a great way to introduce Christ to others. But please hear me now. It's not all that we need to share. While your story might be powerful, there's something more powerful that we have to include when we're witnessing to others. And this section that we get to today as they go into Thessalonica this section of the early missionaries' journeys tell us just what that thing that we must include is. I want you to start reading. Follow along. I'm going to read down just right into verse 2. They traveled. They left. they leaving Philippi. That's where they were last time, where they, Paul and Silas were jailed, and the earthquake happened. And, and the Philippian jailer story, he trusted Jesus as Savior, and his family did, and they were baptized. They then left Philippi, and they traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, two cities, and came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. And as usual, Paul went into the synagogue, went to the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the scriptures. Let's stop there. Amphipolis, there's Philippi up here, and they travel down to Amphipolis. It's 32 miles between the cities, which if they're walking, and we will assume that they were walking, that was their mode of transportation, would have taken them about two days to make that trip. They spent the night. Luke doesn't say, he doesn't give us a whole lot of details, but it doesn't say that they stayed any longer than that, right? Uh, It seems to indicate that it was just, they were just passing through. Uh, Then they went to the next city of Apollonia, which is another 32-mile trip, another couple of days of traveling. And so they go through these two cities they probably they didn't stop evidently but and if they didn't stop most likely the reason is and Luke seems to imply this and why they stopped at Thessalonica was because in those two cities there were no synagogues and if we you have been following with us in the series you know Paul he would go to a city and that would be the first place he would go would be to the synagogues and there probably were no synagogues in those two cities so they continued on to the city of, uh, of Thessalonica, and there they set out to share the gospel and take those that would come to know Jesus and with them establish a new church. Luke tells us that Paul spent three Sabbath days in the synagogue, meeting and teaching in the synagogue. And, and you would go, if you went to the synagogue in, in Greece in those days, and probably even today if you went to synagogue, you'd probably find these same two groups, I would think. The majority of the people who are going to be worshiping in the synagogue on a Sabbath day, on a Saturday, are who? Jews, all right? That's where they go. That's, that's their place of worship. That's where they gather on the Sabbath day. So there would be the majority of the people there probably were Jewish. But there's also another group that could have actually been larger than the Jews, depending on how many Jews lived in the town, who were not Jews. They were Greeks or Gentiles, who what Luke often calls in the book of Acts, he calls them God-fearing Gentiles or God-fearing Greeks. These were people who were brought up pagan, but they have been through their acquaintances with Jewish people attracted to their morality, attracted to their belief in one God and the stories about their God, and they want to learn more about this God. And so they begin to go and and show up on Saturdays in the synagogues to learn the Old Testament, to learn the scriptures. They're not quite converted to Judaism yet, but they're on their way. So you have these two groups who meet in the, Synagogues. So Paul would go to the synagogues, and the reason that Paul went to the synagogue was simply because they had the common belief in the Old Testament scriptures. So when Paul would get up and he would read from the scriptures, the Old Testament, open up the scrolls and read from a passage, and he would talk about Elohim, one of the Hebrew names for, for God, they knew who he was talking about. Because they believed in Elohim as well. And so, or Adonai, or whatever the names, the Hebrew names for God that he would use, they could relate. They knew this guy. And this guy's up here talking about our God. So he's Jewish like us. So they had these things in common. In fact, that's a great, great concept when you are talking to someone to and with the, with the intent of hopefully the door's opening to introduce the gospel to them as that you find something that you have in common with them. For example, here's Ben, and, 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 and I know Ben from, from the community, and, and ben, I know Ben, is, he's lost his Job's turkey. He needs Jesus more than anybody I know. Right? And, uh, and, I, and I, I say, you know, God puts a burden on, on me to to talk to Ben about the gospel. And, I, and so I'm thinking, you know, how can I really get into a conversation with Ben? And I need to find something that Ben and I have in common. Well, Ben and I have something in common outside of our relationship with Christ. Even He, he is a Christian. I'm mean, not just picking on him. But, but you sat on the front row, so you get it today. <laughs> um, but, but Ben and I have something in common. And I might say to Ben... Uh, hey Ben, I've been hearing you on the radio a whole lot. You've been responding to a lot of fire calls lately, haven't you, Ben? You were you went to that accident on the Wright Brothers Bridge yesterday, didn't you? Yeah. I heard you. Yeah, I heard you come on there because I'm a volunteer firefighter, and so I hear Ben going out and about, and, and I hear his voice on the radio a lot. You don't hear my voice too much, does you, Ben? And you're glad of that, all right? Because when I show up on the radio, that's usually a bad thing. But uh, but Ben, so we talk fire stuff, you know, and uh, and so we that we. I can talk to, I'll talk with Ben about stuff that we have in common. All right. And then I can gradually move into some things that maybe I want to talk to him about the Lord. It's always great to start a conversation with somebody by finding out common beliefs and common interests. So, now, just because Luke only mentions these three Sabbaths doesn't mean that they weren't in the city of Thessalonica any longer than that. Three Sabbaths could have been two weeks. You know, if you start off on Saturday, it could have been just, if they were three consecutive Sabbaths, but Luke doesn't say that either. So don't assume that they were just there for two or three weeks. Uh, Paul and, the, and and Silas probably spent the three Saturdays in the Sabbath, talking to the Jews, and then after that, turned to the Gentiles and ministered to them for some time after those three Sabbaths. Thessalonica was an important place for them to be. Not only did they have a synagogue, but Thessalonica was a free city in the Roman Empire, and Paul was a Roman citizen, Silas was a Roman citizen, so they're able to go about freely through the city. That meant they had their own government as a city, they had their own city council. Uh, they had their own assembly. The people would gather, and, and they had a democratic kind of government. And so they were free, and they were free because it meant also that they had no Roman soldiers in, in the city to guard over them. But even maybe more importantly about Thessalonica, Thessalonica was the capital city of Macedonia. And so that was a very strategic place. And here in this capital City, God used Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke to point men and women to Christ, and a church was born. Now, missionaries, as I said, they usually go to places where there's no Christian presence. They go to places and they share Christ. Our our surf camp team, you're going to hear from them next week. They actually went to a group of people where they're in, in India where there is no Christian, there's no church. There's no missionary, there's no mention of Jesus. They don't know Jesus and our guys got to go there uh, while they were there in March. Missionaries typically do that, hoping to see non-believers listen to the gospel and come to accept Christ. And usually they're able to go Our missionaries that we support, they're able to be where they are because churches, Christians like us, give them our prayer support, our financial support, and enable them to be there. But this was a new thing here in Acts 17, in the book of Acts. Uh, The the churches that exist at this time are all brand new. They just came from Philippi, remember? And I mean, those are brand spanking new baby Christians up there in Philippi. That church is just formed days ago. And and so there, this is a brand new movement. So these missionaries, they, they're not being sent and supported by churches like our missionaries are today. These guys are really dependent on God. They're kind of on their own. And Lord, meet our needs. What kind of needs, by the way, would missionaries have had traveling around? Well, same needs that you and I have. Food, clothing, shelter, protection. Uh, God, meet those needs. And, and so um, that brings us to this point in your notes that supporting missions is a major spoke in a church's wheel. Steve mentioned it this morning that the money that, 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 that you give to the Lord on Sunday mornings, as we did in our offering, a good portion of that we send back out to make sure that missionaries can, can be on the field and be supported. Uh, we know from Philippians chapter 14, or excuse me, chapter four, verses 15 and 16, that the Philippian church Here again, this church in Philippi that literally is days old. Don't look up there, listen here. That literally is days old. I find this, this such an amazing example. They're days old and already they're sending Paul financial support. Look at this verse and what it says. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, Paul's writing to them, and he's writing to them sometime later. Remember back in those early days? Remember when Paul and Silas and I, we got beaten and put in jail and all that? In those early days, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you guys alone. Your church, just your church. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my need several times. The so Thessalonica was the next stop. Again, just days after they left, he said, more than one time, you sent money our way to take care of us. The church at Philippi was bragged on by Paul for their commitment to supporting missions. We also know that in both of his letters to the Thessalonians, Paul spoke of working to support himself while he was there. I mean they again the money is not there to live on, so Paul went to work and he said he said, I, I didn't want to be a burden on you. And he told them that in, in chapter two, verse nine of First Thessalonians. So he found work of some kind uh, to earn an income there. And we know from First Thessalonians one nine that most of the Thessalonian church were not converted Jews, but had come out of pagan idol worship. How do we know that? He says to them, You turn from God to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Total change in their lives. And we have to ask the question, well, what convinced them to turn? What convinced them, these pagan idol worshipers, what convinced them to turn to Christ? And the answer, I believe, is found in verse 2, 3, and 4. Paul went to the synagogue and on three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining, and showing that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus, he said to them, uh, who I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. And then some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. Let's stop right there. Show, if you're going to present Christ to folks, here's what Paul did in the synagogue. He showed them that faith in Christ is reasonable. It's reasonable. He reasoned with them from the scriptures. Guess what? Let me share some things, thoughts about this with you. One is, one is this. People need to understand. When we talk about reasoning, we're talking about using our brain and using our intellect, aren't we? We're talking about thinking things through. You don't have to commit intellectual suicide to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Here's what some people think about you all who are here today. You're, you're wasting an hour and a half of, of your time. You checked your brain at the door when you came in or you locked it up in the trunk of your car or whatever it might be. Because how in the world can you go in and sing to someone that you've never seen and and, and, and read a book that was, you know, who knows that the, the, their thought is, you know, how do you know where it came from? And on and on and believe in somebody that died. Come on, do you really believe that? We can reason with people and get them to think through some things, some evidences, and that's what Paul began to do. You don't have to commit intellectual suicide. And here's, here, reasoning is important because people have questions. People have questions and, and you can put beside this in your notes and they deserve an answer. Here's what they don't deserve. They don't deserve an argument. They don't deserve a shouting match. If you get into somebody and you're just shouting back and forward about what they don't believe and what you do believe, you're not going to get very far with them. People have beliefs. They have questions. And, th- and those questions not only need to be answered, those beliefs need to be challenged and they need to be reasoned with. That's why I love people like Alan, Alex McFarland, who was here uh, one Sunday with us back in March. Alex has a ministry of, of explaining the evidences for the Christian faith. A lot of people think that what you have this morning, and, and please don't ever use this term in describing your faith, a lot of people think you have a blind faith. Your faith is not blind. What does it say in Hebrews chapter? Is it chapter 11? Verse 1, I think it's chapter 11, chapter 12, the, the hall of faith. Faith is the evidence of things unseen. Even though we can't see it doesn't mean we're blind. There's evidence there of what we believe. And and so you wanna reason with them. A lot of people think your faith is blind, but it isn't. So as we're reasoning with people, what that, that tells me is we don't just shove the gospel in front of them and say, deal with it. Paul spent three Sabbath days, three synagogue, three worship times, and we don't know how long that lasted, but he, but he, but he took time with them. Why? Because not everyone is immediately ready to accept Christ. If Paul had just shown up the first Sabbath day and said, here, open, I'm going to open up the Bible to a passage in the Old Testament, maybe it's Isaiah 53, but a passage in the Old Testament that presents Christ. And he said, this is talking about Jesus who was born in Bethlehem, who was killed in Jerusalem, who rose from the dead. He is our Messiah. Deal with it. Accept him now, and that's all there is to it. And walked out. How many believers would have been there among those people? What? What? what, Where do you get this from? How did you come up with this? So you you. So he spent time with them three weeks. With time, if we'll explain Christ and why he came, and who he was, and why he died, and that he rose. What we'll find out is if, if their hearts are ready, they'll respond either with belief or they may say, you know what? This really has piqued my interest. You've challenged some things, my presuppositions, and I want to look into this some more as the Brians will do when they go to the next city. And they'll sincerely consider it. But here, here's, here's an important point that, I, that we've got to get. Be sure your story serves to introduce them to his story. Paul didn't go after their emotions. You know, that's not how we share Christ with people. Go after their emotions. Well, don't you, you know, it's Mother's Day. Don't you want to see your mama again one day? yeah. Uh, Paul didn't go after their emotions. Paul challenged their thinking. He went after their need to understand the gospel. Why? Why is that important? Well, amongst the Jewish people, it was and really still is amongst the Jewish people Commonly thought and taught that Messiah will come, and when he comes, he's going to be a military warrior, king, conqueror like David was. And he's going to restore the nation of Israel to its former greatness in the the world as a power. He's going to rid the Romans of their domination and, and rid the Romans of their stranglehold on Israel. That was what they thought the Messiah would do. So Paul had to go back to the Old Testament and prove to them from the scriptures that they believed that, their first, Messiah, that first their Messiah had to come. He had to die as, remember the Passover? he probably took them to the Passover story. Remember the Passover lamb that they had to, to sacrifice? That's who Messiah would be. He would become that Passover lamb. And that he would die, but he wouldn't stay dead. God would raise him from the dead, and then he ascended to heaven, and one day he's coming back as the warrior, king, conqueror. That's yet to come. So he would explain all of that to them. You see, Paul knew this next point Paul knew that it's the Word of God that is the power to change hearts and lives. He knew that. And that's why he took them to the Scriptures. I don't even know if Paul told his story. Maybe he didn't have time. Maybe he did because certainly it was a powerful one, but he took them back to the word of God, to the scriptures. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It's not just, it's not just a book. It's not just the, the, the musings of a bunch of ancient men uh, who had nothing better to do with their time than write some things down. This is alive and it's powerful and it changes lives. As powerful as your story is, and, and, let, and let me say this to you, if you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, there may not have been earthquakes when you did that. You might not, like, like Paul, been struck with blindness. Uh, there might not have been lightning flashing and and, and there, thunder rolling and, and and so forth. It might not have been anything out of the ordinary other than just in a quiet moment, you responded in faith to Jesus Christ and, and who he came to be. And you say, there's nothing supernatural. of him. Oh, Let me tell you what, that's a miracle. Your story is powerful. Tell your story. But as powerful as your story is, your story, as I said, is your story and your experience. What people need to know is that your experience is not unique and that within the scripture, we can find the whole story that if they'll listen and they'll trust in Jesus, we'll include them as well. They'll believe. That's why we need to be strong in the scriptures. That's why you come to Nags Head Church and you find out this church puts a premium on teaching and ministering from the Bible. I'm always kind of amazed when people, guests come in after they've been here a time or two, they go, you know what? You know what's different about this church? You guys actually open the Bible and explain it. And thought, well, what kind of church have you been going to where they don't open the Bible? I can't, I, I don't know. I, I'm not used to that. We, we spend time in the word of God. Paul's reasoning, in his reasoning with them, Paul points them to Jesus. He told them about the Messiah. Told them who Jesus was. Why? Real quickly, they needed more than religion. They had that. That wasn't enough. They needed more than belief in God. They believed in God. They called him Adonai and Elohim. They knew he was Yahweh. They needed to know Jesus. And later, Paul would write to the Roman church, Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. It's about Jesus Christ. Look with me at verse 5. But the Jews became jealous. Let me back up the verse 4 because I don't, I don't think I finished reading that. A lot of them believed, some of them were persuaded, and they joined Paul and Silas, including a great number of the God-fearing Greeks as well as a number of the leading women. Well, the Jews see these folks following Paul and Silas saying, we want Jesus to be our Messiah. We trust him as our Savior. The Jews, verse 5, became jealous of this. And they brought together some scoundrels from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. Attacking Jason's house, Jason was apparently one of these new believers. Attacking Jason's house, they searched for them, for Paul, for the missionaries, for Paul and Silas. Apparently, they had been staying there. They searched for them to bring them out to the public assembly, to the gathering of the people, the citizens of the city. Again, their democratic government, to bring them out, to drag them out there. But when they did not find them, Paul and Silas and Luke and and Timothy, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers, that means they're Christians now, before the city officials, before the city council, shouting. And here's their accusation. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And Jason has received them as guests. And they're all acting contrary to Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, Jesus. The Jews stirred up the crowd and the city officials who heard these things. So taking a security bond from Jason and the others, they released them. Next point in your notes is that jealousy can lead to other sinful actions. You know, Satan is behind jealousy. And I don't know if you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've got a problem with jealousy, but there are probably some of us who do here. Satan is behind it and the actions it produced against the missionaries and the new believers, but even then, hear, hear me now. Oh, well, so you're saying the devil makes me jealous? Listen to me. We all are responsible for our own attitudes and actions. All of us. But if you're eating up with jealousy, It's going to color how you view everything. It's evil, the Bible says, will go deep into your soul and maybe even affect how you feel physically. Really? I mean, jealousy can make me feel bad physically. Proverbs 30, 14 verse 30 says, A tranquil heart is life to the body, but jealousy is rottenness to the bones. Their jealousy led them to contrive a conspiracy. They hired men. They went to the marketplace and hired Luke says scoundrels men of bad reputation they, you know people that just they don't have anything good to do so they're just hanging out they kind of hired them and this this is very similar to what happened the night that Jesus was arrested and the false witnesses that came and, and call, said he did all kinds of things that he never said or did to lie about the missionaries they brought these men and they stirred up the people they caused a riot I mean, these are the people that are causing the problems. They caused the riot. You see, rather than turn to Christ like Jason and these others who could set them free from their sin, they chose to dig their sin hole even deeper. And they said, they've turned the world upside down. Next point for you is you're an agent of change. You're an agent of change. Turn the world upside down. You know why do they? How do they do that? What 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 turned the world upside down? How is that happening? Because the gospel is taking hold of people's lives, changing people's lives, and the gospel is light in darkness. You and I have been saved by the gospel, are to bring that light and that change that is Christ into the world in which we live. I don't live where you live, I don't work where you work, so I can't be the light where you are. But you can, and you should be. We're light in darkness whether it's at work or how we relate to our families or strangers, our purpose, Christians, is to counter the culture and turn the world upside down. I don't know about you, but I think our world needs some turning right now. I think our culture, as it moves at breakneck speed away from the truths of the gospel, I believe this is pertinent to us, that you and I, that Nag said Church, more than ever, we need to be voices of truth and light. Jesus said we're to be salt And light in the world, salt brings healing, salt brings thirst. Light exposes the things that shouldn't be there, exposes sin, exposes evil, but light also reveals Christ. We're to be that. Paul would write later in the New Testament, we're no longer children of the night, we are children of the day, living in light in such a way that those who are in darkness and want out of it will see the light of Christ in us and want to come to him. But not everybody wants to come out of the darkness. There are some people that are content to stay there. They think it's the place to be. Not everyone wants to see Christ and his kingdom come. So they accuse Paul and the missionaries of treason against Caesar, of trying to overthrow the Roman Empire, of saying there's another king these guys are talking about and his name is Jesus. And that tells us that these Jews are the ones who formed the mob. Luke wasn't just saying this. They had learned. Well, how did they, where did they come up with that? Well, they had listened to Paul for three Sabbath days in the synagogue teach about Messiah and say, you know, the Messiah is our king, but he's not, he didn't come as king the first time. He's coming back one time again as king, and he's going to be the king, and we are a part of his kingdom, if you want, in by believing in him, and they turned that against them. And so, you see, they're talking about revolution. They're talking about rebellion, but Jesus, that, that wasn't true. Jesus even said, hey, you remember the story where he said, you know, they, somebody asked him about loyalties, or who's our loyalty to be to? And he said, well, give me a coin. Remember that story? So he held up the coin, and he said, whose picture's on the coin? And they said, Caesar's. He said, okay. So you give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and you give to God the things that are God's. Jesus wasn't talking about overthrowing Caesar at all. He didn't overcome. Jesus... He didn't come to overthrow politicians. I think we need to keep that in mind. Ultimately, the solution for the evil in this world is not what politics can do, not what Supreme Court can do. They they made a great decision this past week, by the way. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Upholding religious liberty in this country. It's not what the president can do. It's not what the United Nations can do. Ultimately, it's not what... what any government or any army can do in Ukraine to turn that thing around, ultimately what will change this world, real change happens when the gospel changes lives. Jesus came to change the world with the gospel. Now, I love this accusation, you've turned the world upside down. I, I love, would love for our community church to say about us that Nag said Church is turning the world upside down. But in order for that to happen, and it does, ha- I hear from people, I heard from somebody yesterday, somebody doesn't go to this church, but came to me and say, you know what, your church is involved in a lot of things and people are paying attention to it, what you guys are doing. We've, we've got to, they've got to see Christ in us. They have to see his love. They have to see his passion for people in us. They have to see his zeal for what is right in us. So we have to be agents of change. Now, let me give you one way you can do that, one simple way. You can be an agent of change in the next month. Maybe you came in outside from outside, and you saw the baby bottles on the table. Did you see them? Did you notice them? We did this last year. I asked them, Last year, we asked for 75 bottles. This year, I said, I want 100 bottles. And what you do is you take this bottle home, pick it up on your way out today. Every family, if you will, grab one. And at the end of the day, you reach into your pocket I've got some change, and you just drop your change in the bottle, and then the next day you do the same thing. And, and here it is Mother's Day, and we collect this. You do this at home until Father's Day, and Father's Day you bring the bottle back, and hopefully it's full of change. And you know you can you fill this bottle up with change. There can there actually be about twenty five bucks in here once you fill it up. By the way, if you take one, please bring it back. On Father's Day, we, we gave out 75 last year, and we got about 60 back. I don't know what happened to the rest of them. We went out for ice cream or what? Or Slurpees, Tom, I don't know what you did with them. But, um, but bring them back on Father's Day. Last year, we gave to the, to the, uh, the Outer Banks uh, Pregnancy Resource Center. That's who these, this money goes to. We gave them about 1,200 bucks through baby bottles last year. They were amazed that Nags said, Church could do that. But you folks are generous. Uh, that's a great way to turn the world upside down. You know, women in crisis pregnancies need to be told that they carry someone that God loves, that God wants to give them a chance. Our culture tells them the opposite. Our culture tells them, hey, you know, if your pregnancy pregnant, it's inconvenient that you don't need to have that baby. The culture's made life that we live right now cheap and, and disposable, but I think we can help turn that upside down. And this is a simple way we can be involved and in that everybody can be involved, your children can be involved in this. Enable these these young mothers to hear that life is sacred and that their babies are precious to the Lord and that there are people here in this community who want to help them because this money will help provide for them baby clothes and, 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 and diapers and formula, and whatever they need, counseling uh, will help them. And whether they choose to keep the baby or whether they make, that, make it possible for a loving home to adopt the child. So I encourage you, take a, take a baby bottle home today and, uh, and bring it back on Father's Day and we'll rejoice and be able to give that back to the center. Let me finish with this last statement. This is kind of interesting way that Luke finishes this story. He just gives us a little tidbit of a detail. He says, so they took a security bond from Jason and the others and released them. You know, I mean, to get out, I'm not gonna ask you how many of you had to post bond in jail before, all right? Some of you maybe so. But, uh, but they, they posted a bond so these guys could be set free. And probably the reason they posted a bond was to guarantee that Paul and Silas won't come back. You tell us they won't come back and if they never come back, you get your money back kind of a deal. How do you, why do you think that, Rick? Well, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18, here's what Paul said So to the Thessalonians. He said, so we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. Maybe that's what he, he meant. We want to come back and see you, but we know we can't. But a church was born in Thessalonica during the, and d- despite the opposition of the unbelieving Jews, despite the riot, Jason and these others birthed, were the birth of a brand new church. Paul would later write two letters to them that are in your New Testament and especially encourage them with the hope of the return of Christ. Verse 10, soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas off to Berea. That night, Paul and Silas would slip out of town to go to the next city of Berea, but they would leave behind Timothy and Luke. They didn't travel with them this time. They stayed behind. Why? To help gather these new Christians, Jason and the brothers and the the leading women that trusted Christ, and they pulled them together and they organized a church there in Thessalonica built on the word of God and the gospel of Christ and the gospel continued to be spread in Macedonia. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.